hey everybody, this is Ryan. Thanks for downloading the show. Today you're gonna to be listening to the first of five lectures that I was able to give at the Bread of Life English Summer Conference this past summer in Torrance, California. The theme of this conference was engaging mind and culture, the same topic of my Doctor of Ministry that I'm starting in January, a Doctor of Ministry in engaging mind and culture. So these five talks were trying to engage the minds of the members there, the Bread of Life Church in Torrance, as well as to prepare them to defend the faith and engage the culture well. And so I hope that you enjoy these five talks as they pop up on the podcast here in the next few weeks coming up. Also remember that I don't just podcast. I also speak at events, conferences, churches, retreats, and that sort of thing. And so if you want to invite me out to your next event, I have some availability this fall as well as next summer is pretty much wide open. Maybe if you don't want to invite me to an event, but you do want to support what this ministry is doing, just know that you can always give at think-well.org slash giving and become a monthly supporter to help me get out and to do more events and train more Christians. So as we jump into this show today, it's going to begin with a Q&A between the pastor and myself as we kind of get to know each other and the congregation gets to know me. And then I jump into a talk titled, Everyone Has to to start somewhere. Looking at your relationship with God, where are you at with him, and what would it take to get you to the next level, as well as understanding the people that you are talking to. So I hope that you enjoy this first of five sessions given at the Bread of Life English Summer Conference. This weekend, we have Ryan Pauley with us. Ryan, it's so good to have you with us. I want you to go ahead and give him a warm welcome, okay? Thank you. Appreciate it. So Ryan, we've known each other for about two and a half hours, and uh, it's not necessarily a we go back a long ways. Yeah, it's, it's, been great. it's all it's all it's all about quality, yeah. right? It's quality. Quality food. Yeah, quality food, yep. quality fellowship, quality people. Yeah. Okay, good. So Ryan, you know, I, I looked up your bio. You're you're a graduate of Vanguard University, Talbot School of Theology, and even in your undergraduate years, you you had a sense that you would minister to students. Right. How, tell us a little bit about that. Man, well. Um, I, I love high schoolers. I, I love students. And, um, you know, I, I, what's interesting on my story is that my church that I grew up in was so far away from home. I never went to youth group. But when I developed this, like, passion to, to actually what it was is, is to, I realized I love talking about the Bible. And I love teaching and I love preaching. And I thought, well, what am I supposed to do if I, if I like teaching and preaching? Well, that means I must become a youth pastor, right? And so it's like I started training to be a youth pastor never really having grown up in a youth group and not really knowing how that works. and Maybe it didn't make the best sense in my life. Yeah. Uh, but it was when I started, after graduating actually, I mm. found myself in a school teaching. Mm. And I realized that was huge for me because when I was in high school, it was my teachers that were the most influential in my life because I wasn't really at youth mm. group. I knew the youth pastor from going to church, but just it was a far drive. And so I realized how God was kind of almost preparing me, mm. yes, to work with students, and I love students, but... Um, in a school kind of teaching context, which is what was impactful for me as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so in teaching the students at your current position in Southlands, what are, what are some of the conversations both in and outside the classroom with your students? Man, it's, it's conversations about everything. So, yeah, to give kind of a, a background, my school is an international Christian school. Um, it's located in Roland Heights. Um, so we are, at least when I joined Southland seven years ago, I just finished my seventh year teaching there, um, it was 70% Chinese. And so we have mostly Chinese international students from China coming over uh, to get their high school diploma here in the United States. Uh, they go through English language development classes before they get to kind of my classes. Um, and so when I first started, I had about 100 students, 70% Chinese, 
or no, 80%, I think, were from China and like 70% non-Christians. And we didn't know this before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, things have changed in, in the school okay. dynamics now. Uh, we're still about 45% uh, international from China mm. uh, students. But um, so the conversations are fun, right? Because th- th- these students are forced to be in my Bible class, right? Mm-hmm. So I teach a Christian doctrine and apologetics, mostly to 10th and 11th graders. I also teach a 10th and 11th grade comparative religions and worldviews, and then a senior uh, philosophy of ethics, right? And so they, they take a freshman survey of the Bible with a different mm-hmm. teacher. So the goal is they have to take four years of Bible. What does the Bible teach? What are deeper theological issues that Christians believe? How do we defend those? How does that compare against other worldviews and religions? Mm-hmm. And then now how do we live it out well in our cultural moment, dealing with all the ethical issues we have to face with? And so I was finding myself where the vast majority of my students are not Christians, yeah. and they're forced to listen to me talk about why Christianity is true. And so there's some fun pushback. Um, there's really fun challenges. Even mm. students getting mad saying, you will never convince me that Christianity is true and that atheism is false, you know? And that student actually became a Christian. Uh, at wow. the end of the year, a year later, is amazing. Wow. And God just brought him around. And so uh, there's fun challenges. There's fun mm. questions. Of course, they want to get deep into life, mm. especially in my senior ethics class. We talk about all the hot button topic, topics of our culture today, mm. and they want to discuss that. And then, you know, I get just this yesterday, I had a former student who's in college say, hey, my mm. you know, professor was talking about this. You know, how would you respond to these things? And so they just, you know, I try to open myself up to just say, mm. let's talk about life. We got to get through content. But when you open that up and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, my family this, my brother and sister this, and my parents don't want me to be a believer. Mm. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's some tough conversations yeah. for sure. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow, what a, what a platform for just engaging mind and culture yeah. uh, within your classroom. That's yeah. great. So, you know, what I discovered is that while you were a student at Talbot, in fact, in your early days of your studies there, you began podcasting. I did. Yeah, so how did that, <laughs> how did that launch? And then when you think about your podcasting experience, what would you say are some of the issues that you found especially timely? for this generation? That's a good question. Um, Well, how did I get started? So one of my professors at the end of one of my classes was like, hey, Ryan, you should start a podcast. And I'm like, I don't know how to podcast. I don't know anything about audio. I don't, and he's like, you'll figure it out. It's easy. (laughs) And, uh, and so I went home and I started like Google search, like, how do you start a podcast? (laughs) Right. And I just started reading articles on how to do it. And about a month later in 2016, I launched the podcast and obviously, it has grown. I mean, if you, you can go back in the record, right? If you go to my website, you can go back to that very first podcast. And it's almost embarrassing right now to go back and, and look at it. There's been a lot of changes that happened. But I think I've loved it. And the journey has been amazing because it, it forces me to get my ideas out there. And when you're presenting your ideas in the public and, and you're, you have to think about how, how do I get to frame this? How do I make this make sense? How can I say this in a way that's compelling and convincing? And then you're also opening yourself up for scrutiny and for pushback. And so then people challenge, hey, you said this. I don't know if that's true. And then you have to like really make sure you're doing it well. And so it was quite a journey. I, I look back and I'm so happy because I think it, it has forced me to kind of think through things and respond to things that maybe I wouldn't have had to think through otherwise. Uh, some of the pressing issues, well, obviously now, um, the number one thing is, you know, with things like LGBTQ issues, homosexuality and transgenderism, um, I was recently asked to give a talk on gender and, and, and navigating gender identity from a biblical perspective. Mm. And so I spent months researching that. And, um, 
And so that's obviously huge. And then what we're talking about tomorrow is science and faith. Um, that I found with a lot of my students, right, coming from China, but also just American students too, uh, being told in universities, like, you can't be a Christian and believe in science, the same thing. Like, science and Christianity are contradictory. And so um, trying to understand a lot of the scientific challenges uh, against Christianity and how to think about that from a Christian view, I think were a lot of the kind of big issues that... Um, kind of have been dealing with for years. Okay, great. Yeah. So maybe one last question is, you know, we talked a little bit about the immersive experiences that you lead with Maven. Yeah. And could you share with us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, um, along with teaching, uh, I work in an organization called Maven. Uh, it's a worldview kind of an organization uh, that does a lot of different things. But my role there is I lead what are called immersive experiences. Uh, we have three different types. Uh, there are Worldview immersive experiences, which I was actually leading last week in Los Angeles uh, with a team from North Dakota. Uh, we have a biblical immersive experiences, which I'm actually flying out Sunday right after our session. Sunday morning, I fly out to Utah uh, to lead a group of 34 students from Tampa, Florida on a biblical immersive experience. And then we have apologetic immersive experiences. And so our goal is to get the learning out of the classroom and out of the mm -hmm. church and on into the streets, right? And so uh, what we do in the worldview trip is we train mm -hmm. students to try to understand how to think about life from a Christian perspective and how the biblical worldview applies to everything. Mm -hmm. And we try to get an experience to match the learning, right? And so we, we learn about the Christian worldview of art and beauty, and we went to the Getty. Uh, we learned about a Christian view of morality and ethics, and we went to the Museum of Tolerance. Uh, we uh, learned about a Christian view of poverty, and we went to Venice and then down to the Orange County Rescue Mission. And so we're trying to help them see what the Bible has to say into these different issues of our culture. Economics and business was another one. Um, and then give them an experience where they have to then put it into practice. Uh, the biblical trip is mostly focused uh, on evangelizing uh, to... Um, to Mormons. And so uh, we go over a deep Christian theology, we go over Mormon theology, and then we take the students out to Utah, where they are going uh, and learning. Uh, they're going around all the kind of Mormon sites, Temple Square and Brigham Young's house and those places. Uh, but then we go down to like BYU, Brigham Young University, and we go into the cafeteria and sit down and have conversations with students and professors. Uh, we do door-to-door -door evangelism at BYU Student Housing. And what's really cool is that most of the students who answer the doors uh, are former missionaries. And so they've all had doors slammed in their face. And so when you knock on the door, say, hey, I'm a Christian missionary here to talk to you about Jesus. Do you have some time? Uh, like I was telling you yeah. earlier at dinner, the first time I ever had a, a, a student open the door, uh, his wife looks at the watch, looks at him. And they go, oh, I guess, I mean, we can give you like 30 minutes. Is that okay? <laughs> and I'm like... I've spent hours in students' living rooms where they offer food and drink and want to sit down and talk about these things. And so that is like, a, there, there's no other place, and I think almost with talking with Mormons, there's no other kind of group of people that you really have to know your Christian theology. Because they're going to take every single thing that Christians believe, say they believe it, but they mean something different by it. So they believe that Jesus is God and the Son of God and all this kind of stuff, but they mean something completely different. So you have to know all those small details to be able to share a clear gospel and distinguish that from a Mormon gospel. And so that's the focus of that trip. And then obviously the apologetics trip is training on uh, philosophy and apologetics and then uh, getting into street conversations, uh, often at college campuses, uh, just talking to skeptics and non-believers and trying to show them the truth of Christianity and, and present the gospel there. So 
It's all about, hey, students, learn this stuff, but apply it. Go out and evangelize and talk to people and put this into practice. And it's really cool. I'll tell tell one quick story. Uh, Just the the confidence that builds in students. So there's one student that went on the apologetics trip to Berkeley. Spent a week at Berkeley talking with professors and Berkeley students. This is a freshman in high school. He gets on the plane to fly back to New York at the end of his uh, immersive experience and introduces himself to the guy sitting next to him. And it turns out the guy sitting next to him is an atheist philosophy professor. And he ended up having a conversation from the San Francisco airport all the way back to New York with this atheist philosophy professor, freshman in high school. And at the end of the conversation, when they're getting off the plane, the professor looks at the kid and says, you know what? You've given me a lot to think about. It's like, what are the times you have a freshman in high school kind of with the confidence to have that conversation with a philosophy professor? And so it's just, these are some of the the trips where it really does take and say, look, we're going to engage your mind Mm -hmm. so that you can then go out and actually engage the culture. Mm -hmm. And then it's cool. They get back and they call up the Mormon missionaries from their local area. They want to talk to their friends in high school. And it's really cool to see Mm -hmm. it just ignite and go, I can do this. I don't have to sit on the sideline. So that's yeah. maybe a longer answer. No, but those great. are the immersive experiences. All right. Well, thanks again for being with us, Ryan. We'll look forward to your presentation. Absolutely. Tonight. All right. uh, awesome. Awesome. Well, it's so good to be here. Um, I, I come just from North Orange County. And so I'm, uh, well, I'm a very short distance, but a very long drive to get here uh, in the L.A. traffic. Um, but I'm excited for this weekend because, you know, I, I kind of thought of the name Engaging Mind and Culture because I'm actually going back to school at Talbot to get my Doctor of Ministry in Engaging Mind and Culture. And so it really is my passion to, to engage your minds, to get you to think well and think deeply about Christianity, about the different issues that we're going to talk about, so that you don't just keep this in the church, but you go out and have conversations with people. And so what I want to start with you tonight is this thing called everyone has to start somewhere. And, and, and to, to get you to think about a couple things. One is, where are you? And where are the people that you are trying to reach? So back in 2013, I graduated college 2010. I was a few years out of college. My family went on a summer vacation up to Yellowstone National Park. So my brother was there. My parents were there. We were having a good time. Right, this is my mom and I floating down one of the rivers. Uh, my mom is a wonderful, sweet lady, pastor for a long time. Uh, she actually uh, called me up after I got accepted to Talbot and was like, hey, I, I'm thinking about going back to school and I'm thinking about what I want to study. And I talked her into doing the same program as me. So my mom and I are going back to get our doctors together, which is going to be super fun. But one night we're at dinner and um, we're sitting there. And my mom said something to me she had said to me my entire life. Granted, I'm about 25 years old now. She says, Ryan, God has this special woman for you. There's a woman out there that God has chosen for you. She's this beautiful woman, and and you're going to find her, and you're going to meet her. You're going to get married. You're going to be happy. We, We know and we believe that God has this beautiful, good thing for you. How many kids in the room have heard parents say something similar to that? How many parents have said something similar to that? Now, most of my life, right, I'm growing up, and my answer would be like, okay, mom, I get it, mom. It sounds good, mom. All right, mom. Well, now I'm 25 years old. I'm a few years out of college, and the normal thing is, right, you go to college, you meet someone in college, you get married after you graduate. And here I'm 25. I'm still single. And I didn't respond the best way. My mom says that to me, and rather than say, okay, thanks, mom, okay, I I looked at her and I said, where is she? Where is she? I don't see her. Do you? Do you know where she is? Because I don't. I said, Mom, every time you say that to me, you just keep reminding me of what I don't have. 
And I got up from the table and I left because I'm like, I, dang, I shouldn't have said that. I came back a little bit later and I apologized. I said, mom, I'm so sorry. But I started reflecting on this a little bit and like, why was it that I got upset? Where was my mom coming from? And, and kind of what I want to present to you and, and I want to think about is, is what I think are these, what I call four different kind of relationship levels, right? Now, my mom was right. There's my wife. She was just a little early still. I met my wife four years later, Emily. We got married in 2018. There's our son, Lennox. He just turned about six and a half months old. Hopefully they'll be here tomorrow, but they will be here Sunday. So my mom was right. But I realized something. My mom was at a different position than me, right? You see, I think that my mom is what I call like a level four relationship, right? My mom had this relationship with my dad that was a deep, beautiful, good, committed relationship. She loves my dad. My dad loves her. And guess what? She wants the same for her kids. My mom's just saying, look, I want you to have this beautiful thing that I have. The problem is I'm not at level four. I was at a level one. I either had this like wishful hope that this girl is somewhere out there, but I have no idea, no clue of her existence. Or I was starting to believe like, I don't even, maybe, I don't even, maybe she's not even out there. Maybe God just has me to be single the rest of my life, right? And I'm not in that same place. And I realized that when you're in this different places, sometimes it's like, but I'm, I'm telling you about something good, but the other person's at level one and they're like, but I don't understand that because I'm not there. I'm not at that same place as you. So how do we work with people that are at different places? Because everyone is starting somewhere. Where are they at and how do we work with them? So as I worked through this, I thought, okay, well, then what would level two be? Well, level two would be like, you believe that the person exists. Like, I believe you all exist. I can see you. But unfortunately, I don't know many of you. The level three would be like starting the relationship. You start to get to know the person. And as you get to know them, the relationship grows, goes into this long, committed, loving relationship. And notice that my line doesn't stop. It's an arrow because this is something that just keeps going. You know this if you've been married for a long time. There's not like, well, okay, five years, ten years of marriage, I'm good. I know you as much as I can. I can stop trying now. It doesn't happen that way. So when you think about this, and you think, okay, let's say, for example, you're talking to some high school person, or like my mom talking to me, and like, there is this amazing guy, there's this amazing girl, and I want you to meet him. Right, you're talking to your friend who's single, and you found this perfect person for them, right? Has that ever happened? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, if they're at a level one, they're like, dude, I, I, don't, I think you're messing with me. I don't think this person is real. Or maybe like, I hope you're telling me the truth because you messed with me before. Like, what could get you to move from a level one to a level two? So they're like, man, I don't know if I believe you. I don't know if this girl actually exists that you're telling me about. How could you convince that person that the, per that the girl actually exists and they move to level two? Show pictures, pull up an Instagram account. Here she is. Or maybe she's sitting there in the room and you're like, right there. Go talk to her, right? So you find some sort of evidence, some sort of way of showing, look, she is real. She exists. Here she is. And now the person has moved to level two. Okay, fine. I believe that she is real. But does that mean they have a relationship? Of course not. Does that mean that he wants to get into a relationship with her or even want to go talk to her? Of course not. What do we have to do to get someone to move from level two to level three? From going from, I believe that the girl is real, to actually, I want to go talk to her. 
Often this is something like you start talking about how they have similar interests. Well, she loves this. You love this. Right? She's really funny. She's a Christian. She, and you start telling her things or telling your friend things about her that hopefully will persuade him, this is someone you should get to know. This is someone you might get along with really well. You know what I'm talking about? Now, they still might not want to, right? There's sometimes like people that we see from a distance and it's like, yeah, I know that you exist, but I'm, not, I'm good. I don't need to talk to you. Maybe it's because we're just too busy. I'm good. Like, I already have all the fun in my life. I got my friends. I got my video games. I got my career. I got my stuff. Like, I don't need to add another person. I don't need to add another thing. I'm fine where I'm at. Maybe, have you guys ever had the person where you look at them and you're like, they're super weird. I don't think we would get along at all. And then, like, you're, like, forced into a group with them or, like, you have to talk to them and you realize, like, they're amazing. Right? One of my best friends is this way. Like, you see him from a distance, like, like, I just think we're kind of, we're very different. We have very different interests. Like, I don't know if we're going to get along. And then, like, I get to know him. And I'm like, we're great friends. Or on the flip side, have you ever had the person where you're like, we're going to be best friends. They seem so cool. And then you talk to them and you're like, whoa, very different than what I thought. Right? Sometimes from a distance, they look very different. But if you can convince them, this person is worth knowing, they have these interests, you break down all those misconceptions, they might then move from level two to level three. And then we ask this question, well, then how do you kind of get from a level three to level four? How do you go from just having a relationship to a deep, committed, lasting relationship? There's work that's involved in this, right? There's intentionality that's involved. You see, notice this. A lot of times people think they're in a good friendship with someone, but they don't even know the person. It's like, I could sit here and I could watch hockey with you and watch games with you and play video games with you and watch movies with you, and we could sit right next to each other, watch 15 movies, but I could not even know your name. I hung out with you. We did stuff together. But I don't know you. Then I think at the same time, there are the people that we know a lot about. Think about like professional athletes. You know all about Steph Curry. You know how many points he scored. You know that he did this and you know that he did that. And you know where he went to college and you know who he's, whatever. You know all this information. But are you actually in a relationship with him? Are you friends with him? No. Of course not. But I think that both of these are necessary, right? Not just knowing things about the person and not just doing things with the person, but when there's a combination of these two things where you know them deeply, but you also experience life with them, that you build into long-lasting relationships, right? Like if you ask me, tell me about your wife. You've been married for almost four years. Tell me about her. And I said, well... Uh, her name's Emily, and she's got brown hair. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, no, but like, tell me about your wife. Um, she's born in Vietnam. Uh, I don't know anything else about her. You'd be like, I'm worried about your marriage. <laughs> right? At the same time, right, if I could tell you all about her and it's like, so you like excited to see her? Do you miss her? And it's like, oh, no, I, I, don't, I don't hang out with her. 
No, we live in separate homes. We never hang out. You know, you'd be like, that's weird too. Right? There's both of these that go together if you want this deep, committed, loving relationship. So the question I want to now ask and and think about this framework of my mom telling me about this girl that I didn't think existed at the time is, now where are you at with God? Where are you at with God? Maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're watching online and you're like, I'm at a level one. Like I am holding on to this belief that my parents have always told me. I've just grown up and my, my parents always told me that God is real. And I'm just wishing and hoping that he is, but I don't really know if he is. And you have these doubts and questions. Maybe you're in the room and you're like, I don't even think he exists. There's a non-existence of God. Maybe it's possible you're at a level two. You believe that God exists for some reason, but there's no relationship there. Right? And I want to challenge you to kind of think through the question of why not? Why not? Why isn't there a relationship there? So if you are at a level one, what would get you to move to the next level with God? What would it take to convince you that God exists? Maybe you're evangelizing to someone else that is questioning whether God exists. And you're trying to share from the, from the deep of, depth of your heart the, the goodness of your relationship and how, love, how much love you have for God and how amazing it has been for you to follow God just like my mom did with me. But they're sitting there like, well, I don't even think God exists. That's nice for you, but I don't have, I, I'm, I'm over here. How do you engage with that person and get them to move to a level two? I think in a similar way as we talked about the person, we have some evidence. We have things that we can show to show here's why we believe that God exists. And what about level two? Let's say they're like, okay, I believe that God exists, but um, there's not really much of a relationship there. Why not? Why is God to them this kind of distant person over there that's like, yeah, they're there, but I don't want to go talk to them? Is it possible that the you or the people you're having conversations with, life is just too busy? We're too captivated by the joys and pleasures of this life to spend time with God? I got my fun. I got my friends. I don't need something else. Like God is just this addition to life that we already have. Is it possible the person you're talking with or you that you have misconceptions about God. Well, God is evil. Why does he allow evil? He's a bad guy. I don't want to follow him. I'm talking about that Sunday morning. But if God was good, then he would have stopped this thing. That didn't happen. And, and we start to question God's character. Like we'd say, well, that person just seems weird. I don't even want to talk to them. What kind of false ideas do people have about who God is and the role of God in their life that keeps them from wanting to actually get to know him? Or maybe we're at level three, and we like kind of have a relationship. And I think here, there's, there's a lot of Christians who think they're at level four that I think are really at level three. We think that we have this amazing relationship with God, but it's super shallow. Right? In the same way that if you ask a lot of Christians deeper questions, like, tell me about God. Like, like with my wife, right? If I said, tell me about your wife, and I'm like, well, she's... Vietnamese and named Emily and brown hair, and that's all I got. You would question my relationship with her. But how many of us Christians can actually answer the deeper questions about God? How many of the attributes of God can we name? 
Can we define or even describe in a basic sense how God is Trinity? Can we talk about why Jesus had to die on the cross, not just that he died? Why couldn't God just forgive us? How is, God, how is Jesus both God and man? Do we have a deeper understanding of the gospel to be able to actually explain it accurately and clearly? Sometimes it's just like we know some Bible stories and it stops there. Can we talk about, like, why was Matthew written? Who was he writing to? I mean, we can do that for movies, can't we? Tell me the theme of Avengers Endgame. Tell me the theme of Pirates of the Caribbean series. Tell me the theme of whatever. And we can go, oh, movie one was this, movie two is this. Here's how it works together. Right? We can work through all the Marvel movies like that. What's the theme of Ephesians? Right? What's, what, what was the purpose of the writing? What's going on? Sometimes we have much deeper knowledge of cultural issues than we do of Scripture, of theology, of these things. Yeah, we go to church. We maybe read our Bible. We do the experience thing, but there's a lack of knowledge. Same way you can sit next to someone and watch movies with them, but there's not much knowledge of them. And at the same time, we can be like the professional athlete with God, where we know all the details, and we can study theology, and we can know all the attributes, and we can explain all the things, and we can answer all the questions, and we can tell you the, what every single book is about in the Bible, and we can explain all that, but there's actually no relationship. It's just a head knowledge of who God is, but we don't actually love him like a father. Right? There's not a deeper relationship there that we experience with him. And let me just say, I think, too, I think this is why students, and when I talk to them, are often bored with Christianity. I I, I talked to one girl at a summer camp years ago, and, and, and she told me about how she had been a Christian for two years, and she already knew everything. Think about that. Now, she was not saying it from like, I'm so smart, I know everything about Christianity, Here's where it was coming from. After only two years in the church, she's already getting things on repeat. It's the same basic lesson on repeat. And after two years, she's hearing everything a second time. It's like, all right, I guess I got all there is to get. That's such a surface level understanding. And I think the same is true of like, we get bored with things super easily. My favorite sport is hockey. My team is right now playing for the NHL Stanley Cup championship. And they were losing with five minutes left to go when I walked up onto the stage. Actually, when worship was starting, I didn't check during worship. So they probably lost. I don't know if my phone and my watch would tell me. But um, some of you, like, if you sit down to watch a hockey game, after, like, five minutes, you're going to be bored. Why? Because you don't understand it. You maybe even have a hard time tracking the puck. Some of you are like, what's hockey? It's not one of the major sports. What do they do? They, 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 they run around on ice with blades on their feet and whack a rubber thing? Like, I don't get it. And you get bored really easily. But for me, I can watch it. Why? Because I'm fascinated. I understand how the game works. I look at the skill of the players. And I'm like, but did you see how he just did that? That's, that's amazing. Now, for you, it might not be hockey, but it's something else. Maybe it's art. You're an artist in the room. And I walk into an art gallery. I'm like, it's a barn. And you're like, but don't you understand? Look at how he shadowed that. Look at how she put the brush strokes over here. Look at the detail. In the, do you realize how beautiful this is? 
And you can sit in an art gallery for hours just captivated by the beauty in what you see because you know it, you understand it. When I have a surface level understanding of art, I get bored quickly. Think about video games. We could keep going down the list. When you find someone like my grandparents who've been married over 60 years, they don't get bored with each other. It's not like, oh, i got to spend another day with you. There's a deep relationship there. Is it possible that we are bored with Christianity, that we get tired of reading our Bibles, that we get bored with spending time with God because there's actually not the relationship there that we want? It's not like that deep, committed, loving, where you're like, I just want to spend more time with this person. Because maybe you don't know God like you want to. So what does this look like? We might say, well, man, but it sounds like, you know, we're talking about evidence. We're talking about moving through these things. Like, aren't we supposed to, like, just have faith? Like, just close your eyes and believe. I don't think that's what Scripture teaches, right? If we look at Scripture, for example, if we look at the end of John, right? People often point to the end of John where it says, you know, uh, you know uh, Jesus is speaking to Thomas. It's like, it would be better if you didn't see me and believed, right? And it's almost like, close your eyes, and that's the best thing. But right after Jesus says that to John, the very next verse says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, Jesus did miracles to prove and show that he is God. He did visible signs like showing that picture, saying, Look, here it is. Evidence. Proof. Now believe. And trust that I'm real. And as we talked about, kind of, and we sang in worship this morning, what I want to get you to think about is a perspective change. So not only where you are, but the second thing I want you to think about is your framework and your approach to life. When this changed for me, my mind just went like, this is so cool. And it's Colossians chapter 1. Right? Where Colossians chapter 1 tells us, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let that sink in for a second. What does it actually mean that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things. How does that change our approach to life? One of the great Catholic thinkers, Thomas Aquinas, said this, and I thought this was a brilliant quote. He says, for the philosopher, now for him, the philosopher is kind of like the non-Christian, is what he's talking about here. And so the philosopher takes his argument from the proper cause of all things, the believer from the first cause. For such a thing, uh, for such a reason as that thing has been handed down in this manner by God, or that this conduces to God's glory, or that God's power is infinite. Here's what he's saying. And here's what I think is a cool perspective switch. When we're going through life, there's two different ways that we can look at the things that we enjoy. We can either say, what is the proper cause of this? So hockey for me is fun. Why is it fun? Well, it's exciting. There's fights and there's goals, and it's fast, and it's action. You can say, hanging out with my friends and watching movies or playing video games is fun. Why is it fun? Well, because it's a fun game. And you find the proper cause of your fun, and you stop there. 
Does that make sense? Wow, what a beautiful painting. Well, someone painted it, and you stop there. The Christian, though, should be looking at things differently, not just from the proper cause, but from the first cause. God. How? Well, either one, because God has literally created it in this way. Or because this thing is created to show his glory. Or to show that his power is infinite. So when we start to look at the world around us, not just as, why was this one thing fun? Oh, because we watched a fun movie. But why was this fun? Because of who God is. God has made this possible. So let me do a little activity with you. I'm a high school teacher, so i got to work activities into this. I'm going to put up a bunch of words on the screen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of one of your favorite activities. And I want you to think of how many of these words are necessary for that activity that you love to be possible. All right? So think about whatever you love. Video games, cooking, artwork, whatever it may be. How many of these words are necessary for your activity to be possible? Here you go. And as you think, also as a high school teacher, i got to get a little bit of interaction. There will be a Q&A at the end if you're watching online or put in the live chat. If you're here, we'll take some questions. But does anyone want to offer your activity and which of these words are built into it and make it possible? Traveling, okay? Is there a cause and effect in traveling, right? If you don't move your feet, you're not going to travel anywhere, right? There's a cause and effect there. Is there a purpose to your traveling, right? There's an end goal of what you want to accomplish, what you want to see. Is it for fun? Is it sightseeing? Um, uh, any math involved? Buying plane tickets? Can I afford, yeah, this, this trip? Uh, intelligence? To be able to book plane tickets to actually get you to the right location? You don't show up in a completely different country? Uh, there's a reason for why you're doing it. Um, information, where you're going to be flying to. Power, planes need power to be able to fly and do things. Are there good and bad places to go when you travel? Yeah, places like you get killed probably and places that are beautiful. Um, there, are there good and bad decisions as you're traveling? Yeah, like don't lose your passport. You know, that would be a, a good decision there, right? Um, right, so a lot of these. Um, anyone else? Traveling. I haven't had that one as an example before. Students always try to trick me, and they're like, sleeping. <laughs> There's actually a lot of these that are required for sleeping as well. One more. Anyone else? Okay. I know what that is, but I've never played it, so help me out. Right? That's the, like, dot, like the tile game, right? Yeah. Okay. How many of these do you have that are involved in that? Power. Good and bad decisions, what piece to lay down, right? Most of these. Now, I would, I would go to say that pretty much any activity that you love, most of these are required. And here's what I want you to see and what we're going to talk about here, is that it is only within a Christian worldview, a theistic worldview, one where God exists, that these things are possible, you see, without God as the creator and sustainer of the universe, we don't have a cause and effect, which we'll talk about. We don't have minds. We don't have love. We don't have purpose. We are purposeless beings. There is no right and wrong, good or bad. There's no things. And so it's not just like, hey, this game is fun. Traveling is fun. It's beautiful. I get to enjoy something fun. End of story. It's no, I can only travel or play because God has created me with the intelligence to do this, with the mind to make this possible. God has created me as a relational being to enjoy the people I am. God has created the beauty that I get to see. We're talking about that on Sunday. Wow, God, you're amazing. 
See, I, I, growing up, it was like, you know, I learned about theology in the classroom, and then like I have fun in the world, and then I started re- reading like Colossians 1 and like Romans 1, right? Where God, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, are made clearly evident in the things that he has made ever since the creation of the world. That we look at the world and we go, wow, God, you're amazing. This is beautiful. Right? Even Genesis in the creation account, it said God created every tree to spout it on the ground, those that are pleasant to the, pleasing to the eye and good for fruit. God didn't have to make them beautiful, but he chose to so that we get to enjoy them. I took this approach last week when I went to the Getty, leading students. I'm not an art person. And I'm telling them, look, when you look at this art, don't just look at the art, but I want you to look at a Christian view of the art. I want you to see how does this artwork reflect a Christian view? How does it draw on beauty? How does it try to capture the things that God has created? And as I walked in there, I was like, whoa, these paintings are beautiful. And I started looking at the detail. I started looking at the way that they can paint a sunset. I'm like, how do you do that? I get stick figures. It's amazing. God gave someone the mind and the creativity to to paint this and the skill to do it well, to truly capture the beauty that God has created in nature. That's amazing. So here's why each of these is necessary for God. Now, if you can't see that, I guess it's over here. Crimes is an acronym. And if you're interested, this comes from a book uh, called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. And with each of these six points, the point is this, is if, if, if God does not exist, these things do not exist. These things are the foundation of everything that we enjoy. And so not only do the fact that these things exist, cause and effect, morality, right and wrong, these sort of issues, point to the fact that God exists. It's evidence for God. But also, I think, shows that God is the one who created and sustains everything that you love. So think about this. Like, think about like if you could meet the creator of your favorite video game, or you could meet the athlete on your favorite team, or you could meet like, just blanked on his name, Tesla guy, Elon Musk. <laughs> if you could meet him, right? And you like love Tesla, you're like, who would be like, nah, I'm good. He, who, who's that? Irrelevant. You'd be like, of course I want to. What if Elon Musk is like, I have a gift for you? You're like, no, nah, I'm good. Right, but here the God of the universe who's infinitely more rich than Elon Musk wants to give us good gifts. And it's like, no, nah, who is he? I'm good. I got my fun stuff. So let's work through these here really quickly. Uh, number one, crimes. Uh, causality. Cause and effect. Simple question here. If God does not exist, then that means that no one created everything out of nothing. Right, that at one point there was nothing and now there's something. And how did it get here? Well, it came from nothing. For no reason. That makes no sense. Lawrence Krauss, a popular uh, physicist from Arizona State University, wrote a book called A Universe Out of Nothing, explaining how you can get everything out of nothing. And then he defines nothing as a boiling, bubbling brew of virtual particles coming in and out of existence. And you respond and say, well, that sounds a whole lot like something. If you start with time, matter, and space, then you can get time, matter, and space. It's kind of like when kids go uh, get home and they open up the refrigerator and it's just covered with tons of food. And they go, Mom, Dad, there's nothing to eat. No, there's a lot to eat. There's just nothing you want to eat. 
You see, God is the first cause. God is the necessary eternal being that brought everything else into existence. Like we read in John chapter 1 verse 3 or we read in Colossians chapter 1. He is the first cause. If he doesn't tip over that first domino, then no other dominoes of cause and effect relationships can even take place. God is necessary for causality that leads to everything that we love. R, reason. How is thinking possible? Where are, the, where are the laws of logic? How do we get these? I actually think one of the best arguments for God's existence is the mere fact that you can make an argument. See, within a strictly secular view, if God does not exist and we are purely material beings, then we are what some call moist robots. We are just molecular machines where there is no free will. We are just robots that have had our brains programmed through the process of evolution where we are doing what our brain has been programmed to do and you're not actually thinking. Sam Harris, a neuroscientist, talks about how if you sit there and you look at your two hands and say, choose one that you want to lift, and you go, mm, I'll lift that hand. He goes, you didn't pick that. Your brain made you do it. You didn't actually choose. You're not thinking. Daniel Wallace, a philosopher of mine um, from Florida, I believe, and he says, he's an atheist, he says, um, consciousness is your brain playing tricks on you. It's like magic, but not magic magic. It's like stage magic. It's just tricks. The fact that you think that you exist, that you're a conscious being, a thinking being with free will, making choices, these secular atheists who are materialists believing only the material world exists say that's not possible. That's not true. You're not actually thinking. You're just a robot. But if we are thinking, if we do have a mind, if we have things that come from our mind like emotions and joys and pleasures and happiness, where does that come from in a world without God? How do we get an immaterial mind from only material stuff? We don't. The fact that we think is not only evidence that God exists, should moving you from level one to two, but the fact that you're thinking and get to enjoy things, things that God has given you the ability to do, should make you go, I want to get to know this God who is giving me these things to truly enjoy life, moving you from two to three. I, information and intelligence. How are these mindless things intelligent? Like, where did the very nature of our intelligence come from? DNA is packed with information. Where does this information come from? We know that information always comes from a mind. Books have authors. Paintings have painters. Buildings have builders. You don't get information and intelligence from mindless things. If God does not exist, there is no way to explain the information and intelligence that we see built into nature. But the fact that we see information and intelligence built into the things like DNA is not only evidence for God, but then should make us go, wow, God, you have built this to show how amazing you are, how smart you are. There's a Netflix series. I forget what it's called. I watched it forever ago. Uh, episode one is, it's like a sci-fi Netflix series. And episode one is all about building robotic arms for those who have had arms amputated to give them back a function. And the most brilliant scientists at these universities are trying to construct prosthetic limbs that can move like a human hand, and they can't do it. They can't replicate it. They're trying their best. Now, as a Christian, I go, well, isn't that obvious evidence of a creator? If the most intelligent scientists in the world spending years and years and years trying to copy this thing, 
If they can't do it, and that robotic arm clearly requires intelligence, I couldn't build it. Could you? <laughs> Maybe some of you are engineers and could. I couldn't. That robot arm, that, that prosthetic limb clearly requires intelligence. What about this thing that is far more advanced that we can't even mimic? This got here by randomness without purpose? The fact that there's information intelligence built into the thing, and the fact that we can now build information into video games and enjoy them, doesn't go back to the primary first cause, or the primary cause of the video game producer made this. It goes back to the first cause. God, the intelligent being who built information into all things, it gave us the ability to build information into things to enjoy. And morality. Where do rights come from? I saw this uh, this morning, talking about Roe versus Wade being overturned. They've taken away a right. Well, think about this. From a non-Christian view, rights can only come from one place, and that is government. So they can give you a right, and guess what they can do? They can take it away. But we often see these rights being taken away and we, we appeal to somehow that's like greater right that somehow is out there. But this is my right. Well, who gave it to you? If no one's given it to you, then you don't have it. Right? So like in the time of slavery, right? It's like we have a right to be free. Well, no, you don't because the government hasn't given it to you. You don't unless God exists. Because a Christian worldview, we recognize rights come from government. They do give like the right to vote, the right to drive, things like that. But rights also come from God. We have human rights. We have these things that people, people are, are appealing to this higher moral standard for this rights. You've taken this thing away from me. You can't do that. Well, why not? Has a higher authority given it to you that we can't, that we're supposed to respect and honor? Well, not unless God exists. Why is something right or wrong? We're going to talk about this on Sunday morning as well when we talk about um, morality. We talk about why does God allow evil? As famous uh, evolutionary biologist from Oxford University, Richard Dawkins, atheist, said, in a world governed by the laws of physics and evolution, you have no good, no bad, right? No purpose. He talks about no right, no wrong. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Kind of you're just being controlled by your DNA and your DNA doesn't care. Why is something actually wrong? See, in our culture, people are always appealing to something being wrong without a way to explain that wrong. We recognize right and wrong is real because God exists and has given it to us. Evil. One of the big questions, again, that we'll talk about Sunday morning, why does God allow evil? If God is good, why is there evil? You see, when people ask this question, they often kind of put it this way and they go like, okay, does God exist? We're trying to figure out like yes or no. And like, what's the evidence on either side? And they're like, well, clearly no because of evil. And then they stop there and then they start doubting whether God exists. The problem is, is when we approach it this way, we often ignore or are unaware of all the arguments for God's existence. Some of which we talked about already. Like information intentionality about the mind and consciousness. But there's others. Beginning of the universe, fine-tuning, consistent laws of nature. If you want to talk about any of these, you can. But as we'll talk about on Sunday, not only is evil not just one of the evidences against God, but actually evil is evidence for God's existence. You see, if God did not exist, evil would not exist either. Last one is science. 
Let me just say something briefly on that before we move on. And, and, and the reason is this, is, is what is good? What is evil? If, if people in our culture talk about, well, here's this good thing. Well, what is good? Just something that makes you happy? What is the definition of good? Something that just most people get along with? Is good that which is legal? Well, if, if good is what's legal, then slavery was a good thing when it was legal. Would we, would we say that? Well, of course not. Slavery was bad. Okay, so then what's good? Well, good is that which makes you happy. Well, what about the person who gets happy doing bad things? Is it just something we decided as a culture? Right? So abortion was a good thing, and now as of yesterday, as of today, it's now a bad thing, and everyone should agree it's bad because it's not legal anymore? Like, how, how do we understand this? From a Christian view, we have a way of explaining good and evil. Good is that which aligns with God's nature. God is the standard of goodness. That which aligns with God's nature is good, and evil is the privation or the lack of good where good should be, and it's not. We'll talk about that more on Sunday. So this is why, without God, you don't have good and evil. You just have different. Come Sunday if you want a deeper explanation of that. Lastly, science. Oh, I went past it. Often, as we are going to talk about tomorrow, people talk about how science is contradictory. But that's not true. God is what makes science possible. Without God, science is not even possible. So all the scientific studies and all the things that they do, the very fact that people are doing science points to the fact that God exists because science requires intelligence. Science requires minds. Science requires cause and effect relationships. Science requires a, a designed and orderly universe, not a chaotic universe. And again, I'm previewing you the rest of the conference. Tomorrow we're going to talk about this on how the early scientists were all Christians because they recognized God created this thing and it's an act of worship to study it. And it was the non-Christian worldviews that were not doing science because they believed that nature was just this chaotic mess. And so it makes no sense. There's no purpose to it. Why study it? God creating things in an orderly way, creating us with minds and the ability to do the investigation and learn, is what even makes science possible. So let me say it like this. But some might say, okay, fine, I get all this. You've given me some evidence that God exists. You've given me some reasons why I should want to get to know this person because he literally is the creator and sustainer of everything I love and enjoy in life. But believing in him won't change my life. Like, I can enjoy all these things and not have to believe in him. It won't change my life. And there's a sense in which that's true, right? Let me put it this way. Believing in an author won't change my life. Right? I don't have a book up here, but if I had a book, it's like, here's a book. You can read the book, you can study the book, you can learn from the book, and you can go, I don't think anyone wrote it. I don't believe that there's an author. Right? You can read it and learn from it. You can benefit from it. You can use it. You can then use the information to do things. And you can deny that there's an author. No one wrote this book. But that would be crazy. Because if no one wrote it, then guess what? There is no book. The book would not exist if there is no author. In the same way, we can believe in science. We can use science. We can believe in morality. 
We can believe in right and wrong. We can enjoy beauty. We can expect people to tell us the truth. We can love and be loved and desire for us to be more loving and not filled with hate. We can show compassion to other people. We can do all these things and we can deny God's existence. The problem is that none of these things exist unless God exists. So rather than enjoying all the wonderful things that come from God as the creator and sustainer of all life, and enjoying that and then taking him in and then throwing the creator out and saying, I don't need you. The challenge here is to say, how do we get people to recognize the beauty and the fact that we need? Or the fact that these things exist points to a creator of those things. That is not only evidence of God's existence, but I think a very powerful reason why we should want to get to know this guy. This God who created all these things. Let me put it this way as we finish up. This is from Jay Werner Wallace, a Los Angeles cold case homicide detective. He said it this way, life on this side of my decision hasn't always been easy. It's been 17 years since I was first trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. He was an atheist for about 35 years of his life. I still struggle to submit my pride and will to what God would call me to do. Christianity is not easy. It doesn't always work for me. Isn't that true? It's not always the easy thing to do. There are times when it would be easier to do it the old way. Easier to cut a corner to take a shortcut. There are many times when doing the right thing means doing the most difficult thing possible. These are the times when it seems like non-Christians have it easier. They seem to be winning. It is times like these that I have to remind myself I'm not a Christian because it serves my own selfish purpose. I'm not a Christian because it works for me. I had a life prior to Christianity that seemed to be working just fine, and my life as a Christian hasn't always been easy. But I'm a Christian because it's true. Christianity, I'm a Christian because I want to live in a way that reflects the truth. I'm a Christian because of my high regard for the truth leaves me with no alternative. I think this is what I hope for as I think through all the issues of our culture that we have to deal with. And I try to think about Christianity well and apply what Scripture teaches. Christianity is not separate from the things that we enjoy. Christianity is not separate from the things that we have to do. The Bible speaks into every single area of life. From traveling to games, to video games, to sleeping, to cooking. And it's true. God does exist. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the reason why we are here. He is the reason why we can laugh and enjoy the things of life. Don't you want to get to know him? So my challenge for you in this first session is to think through again. Where are you at personally? Is it possible that you have come here tonight thinking that you are this great deep relationship with God because maybe you've grown up in a Christian home like me? And it wasn't until I got to college and started studying theology that I realized I don't really know much at all. I've just done the Christian thing, but I don't know God. Is it possible that we have this disconnected world like God over there and my life over here and we haven't figured out how God actually is involved? You see, one way that this is talked about is some people refer to this as what's called practical atheism. That yes, we say we believe in God, But practically, we're atheists and we're living in a way like God is not relevant to any of the decisions in our life. 
I hope it's more than that. I hope that we realize, just like with relationships, it's not about just doing stuff. But there's a knowledge component, too. And I hope that we realize how we can join those together to not only ourselves move toward that level four relationship, growing in our knowledge and trust in who God is, growing in that awe that we have, like with our favorite activities, where we don't get bored and we're like, I just want to know you more, God, like we do with the people we love. But I hope that this framework as well not only helps maybe the kids in the room, we're like, Mom, Dad, I don't get you. I hope maybe the parents who have kids, you're like, now I maybe understand my kid. I'm trying to tell them about all this amazing stuff of Christianity, and they're just not there yet. I hope this gives us patience and compassion in our evangelism and our outreach, realizing not everyone is where you are. Maybe it gives us a, a framework of how to work with people and disciple people to get to know who God is. And part of that is getting them to think well about who God is. Getting them to maybe get rid of some of their false ideas about who God is. And recognizing him for who he truly is, as Colossians talks about, the creator and sustainer of our universe. Well, thank you so much for downloading the show today. I hope that it encouraged you and caused you to think deeply about where you are with God and what it'll take to move you to that next level and hopefully eventually that deep, committed, passionate relationship with him. Now, the next few episodes that are going to be coming up are based, again, as I mentioned, on this English summer conference that I did in Torrance. Uh, just so you are aware, the session two was how relativism undermines your faith in Christ. Session three on how science and faith, are they incompatible or compatible? Session four was, if God exists, why is there evil? And lastly, we finished with redeeming entertainment culture. So again, if you want to invite me out to your church, school, conference, retreat, whatever it may be, you can go to think-well.org. There is a tab there you can click on to see different topics that I offer, as well as invite me to your event. I would love your prayers in the next few weeks. Uh, this coming Friday, we are flying out to Colorado, where we are, as a family, are going to be spending the next two weeks living at Summit Ministries, being faculty in residence, where we are just going to be living with about 180 students at the Summit Ministries Hotel. I will be teaching four different times over those two weeks, but mainly just being a mentor couple and just a resource for the students and the staff there. And so I would love your prayers as we spend the next two weeks just working directly with students. And again, as always, if you want to partner with the ministry, think well and help us financially to continue to reach people, continue to do events and produce this podcast, you can do so by giving at think-well.org slash giving. And I would just so much appreciate that. And I would love you to consider that as well as again, praying for this upcoming event. So with that, I thank you for joining me. I just want to encourage you to continue to think well about God, Jesus, and Christianity, because as always, they are worth thinking about. God bless everybody. See you next time. Won't hesitate to follow your love.